Hey, podcast fans, it's Lainey from Crimes of Passion. Did you know I host another podcast? It's called True Crime Cases with Lainey, and it takes a deeper look at the life and crimes of some of the most evil minds in history. If you enjoy the in-depth research and storytelling of Crimes of Passion, you'll love True Crime Cases with Lainey. Hey, we may even have a special guest stop by from time to time. Follow True Crime Cases with Lainey wherever you get your podcasts. Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence and murder. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Kendra Hatcher pulled into the garage at Gables Park 17 in Dallas, Texas, later than usual. She'd stopped at a friend's house to borrow a waterproof camera on her way home from work. She and her boyfriend, Ricky Paniagua, were flying to Cancun the next day. After a summer spent visiting their families, the trip would hopefully offer some relaxation before life got too hectic. Ricky was starting a job soon near Sacramento and they'd yet to move, but that was a hurdle for another day. Kendra slung her coach purse over her shoulder and pushed the car door open. She stepped into the garage, about to head up to her apartment. But as she did, a dark figure ran up behind her and pointed a pistol at her head. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim, or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Last time, Brenda Delgado's boyfriend, Ricky Paniagua, dumped her after two attempts and years of dating. When he fell in love with a woman named Kendra Hatcher, Brenda developed an obsession and devised a plan to stop their budding romance in its tracks. This time, Brenda and two accomplices turn her deadly fantasy into a tragic reality, and a months-long investigation culminates with Brenda on the run. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. September 2nd, 2015. If everything went to Brenda Delgado's plan, Kendra Hatcher would be dead by nightfall, and nobody could trace the murder back to Brenda. She made sure she wouldn't be anywhere near the crime scene when the hit happened. Brenda arranged for her friend, Crystal Cortez, to drop her off at the library. She'd spend most of the day with her head in a book, studying with the classmate. If Brenda wanted to become a licensed dental hygienist, she needed to pass her upcoming certification exam. She theoretically could have it all kill her ex's new girlfriend, and land her dream job. But that morning got off to a bumpy start. Brenda borrowed her friend's BMW for the day. She didn't want to risk being seen in her own car. But after picking up Crystal, the BMW started to act up. 
there was a problem with the car's accelerator, so Brenda needed to take it down to a repair shop. Luckily, she knew the owner, a man named Jose Ortiz. Jose said he could fix the BMW. Plus, he offered to let Brenda borrow his own car, a black Jeep Cherokee, in the meantime. That way, her whole day wasn't ruined. Brenda agreed to take the car, knowing full well that it would later be used to commit a crime. It's not exactly the behavior you'd hope for or expect from a friend, but at this point, it seems like Brenda was one-track-minded, focused on her self-serving goals. She appeared not to think about how her actions impacted others, not even the people she claimed to care about. About 30 minutes after leaving the repair shop, Crystal and Brenda arrived at the library in Jose's Jeep. They sat there going over the plan one last time. Then Brenda stepped out of the car and disappeared into the library, leaving others to do her dirty work. From the library, Crystal drove Jose's Jeep to pick up the man hired to actually carry out the hit, 31-year-old Christopher Love. In Skip Hollinsworth's article, The Doctor, The Dentist, and The Killer, it was reported that Brenda offered Christopher about $3,000 in drugs and cash. Crystal and Christopher parked in a lot near Kendra's work, a pediatric dental office called Smile Zone. They sat there for hours, killing time, waiting for Kendra to finish her shift. Around 7 p.m., the time came. They watched Kendra exit the building, talking on the phone. She still had her black scrubs on. She climbed into her car, a white Camry, and drove away. Crystal and Christopher followed. By this point, Crystal knew Kendra's routine. She and Brenda had spent the past few weeks secretly tracking Kendra day and night. They had a pretty good handle of her schedule. When she worked, what time she got home, what roads she took to get there. But for some reason, Kendra didn't take her usual route. Crystal lost sight of her white Camry. Rather than drive around blindly, Crystal and Christopher decided to just drive straight to Kendra's home. Even if Kendra had plans at night, she'd have to return eventually. Kendra lived in an apartment complex called Gables Park 17. From her surveillance, Crystal knew the door to the garage was remotely operated. So when they arrived, Crystal waited for another resident to come home. As soon as one did, she pulled up close behind their car and followed them in. They then parked a few spaces away from Kendra's designated spot. When the time came, Kendra's car passed right in front of the Jeep. Crystal and Christopher sat inside, waiting. Christopher pulled a hoodie low over his face and readied his pistol. Moments later, Christopher stood by Kendra's car. Detectives later came to believe that as she got out of her car, she was told to turn around and put her hands behind her head. As Kendra's screams echoed in the parking lot, Christopher fired into the back of her head. She dropped to the ground, dead. Christopher grabbed her purse and ran. He jumped into the back seat of the Jeep as Crystal sped away, adrenaline racing. But they couldn't go too fast. They didn't want to draw unwanted attention. Meanwhile, a couple miles away, Brenda sat at a Chili's drinking cocktails with Jose, the friend who lent her the Jeep. Crystal still had the car, but Brenda managed to convince a classmate to give her a ride to the restaurant. Sometime after 9 p.m., Brenda and Jose left Chili's and drove to his place. Brenda called Crystal to confirm that everything went according to plan. After hanging up, Brenda and Jose went back to his home and waited for Crystal to return Jose's Jeep. 
Eventually, Crystal and Brenda drove away in a newly fixed BMW, Brenda with a new coach purse. She apparently didn't care about the blood on her hands, or maybe she didn't feel responsible because her finger didn't pull the trigger. Whatever the case, Brenda Delgado seemed to genuinely believe she'd gotten away with murder. Coming up, the homicide investigation begins. Now, back to the story. On the night of September 2nd, 2015, police responded to a call about a shooting at Gables Park 17, an apartment complex in downtown Dallas. Detective Eric Barnes was assigned as lead investigator. The victim was Kendra Hatcher, a 35-year-old pediatric dentist. At a glance, the crime scene looked like a robbery gone wrong. Kendra's purse was missing, but the building had cameras everywhere. A remote-operated garage, security on site. Why go through all that trouble for a purse? Barnes headed for the building lobby to talk to security. Maybe they had a lead. Barnes chatted with a guard. As he did, a fellow officer interrupted. The victim's boyfriend, Ricky Paniagua, had arrived. He was looking for Kendra. Barnes took on the difficult task of breaking the news. He found Ricky and told him Kendra was dead, shot. It may have been a robbery gone wrong, but it was much too soon to say for sure. Ricky had talked to Kendra earlier that day. Everything was fine, or seemed to be anyway. She didn't sound nervous. They were both excited for their trip to Cancun the very next day. Heartbroken and in shock, Ricky answered the detective's questions as best he could. Did Kendra have any enemies, resentful exes, someone who may want to hurt her? Tears streamed down Ricky's face, still processing the tragedy. He couldn't think of anyone. Nothing about what happened made sense to Ricky. That sentiment would soon be shared by many. But for now, Barnes told Ricky he'd be in touch soon. Later, the detective sat in a security office at Gables Park, reviewing security footage of the parking lot. Kendra's killers may have been caught on film. Cameras caught a black Jeep Cherokee peeling out of the parking lot that afternoon. They had it, the first real lead. Barnes stared at the screen intently, pausing the video as the car came into view. The footage was grainy, but it looked like a woman was driving. Barnes instructed an officer to release the clip to the media. Someone had to know who the car belonged to. Jose Ortiz saw the footage on the news. It's hard to know what exactly was running through his mind, but he quickly recognized the car. There was no mistaking it. It was his Jeep. The mismatched bumper and tricked out rims were a dead giveaway. He called Brenda in a frenzy. He lent her his car for one day. As a favor, how could this have happened? According to Skip Hollinsworth's reporting for Texas Monthly, Brenda quickly threw Crystal under the bus. She distanced herself from the situation. She even told Jose that Crystal had a, quote, drug problem. Given the video circulating, Jose raised concerns about driving his car now. How many people would be looking for the vehicle? Would someone call the police if they saw him? Would they pull him over and arrest him? Jose threatened to go to the police himself. Maybe he could get ahead of the problem if he did, but Brenda insisted he didn't. Instead, 
she suggested Jose paint his Jeep a new color. She told him she'd pay for it. As if that was a simple, convenient, or foolproof solution, she even stooped so low as to weaponize Jose's immigration status, telling him it was in his best interest to go to the police. After the call, Jose discussed his predicament with his family. He weighed the pros and cons until finally he made up his mind. He dialed 911 and told them that he believed his car had been used in a murder. Now, by this point, Ricky had already texted Brenda to let her know what happened to Kendra, not knowing that his ex orchestrated the killing. She reportedly acted concerned. She made herself available to Ricky, letting him know that she would happily help him with errands. The gesture seemed gracious at first, but then Ricky got an urgent call from Detective Barnes. He'd just spoken to a man named Jose Ortiz, and Jose implicated Brenda in Kendra's murder. For Ricky, the news was especially terrifying because, as he told Detective Barnes, Brenda was supposed to deliver groceries to his apartment that night. Following his conversation with Ricky, Barnes called Brenda. When Brenda picked up, she was at the library. The detective told her that they needed her to come into the station immediately to answer some questions. They'd send someone to pick her up from the library. An hour later, Brenda was sitting in an interrogation room across from Detective Barnes. Clearly nervous, Brenda pointed to the detective's bracelet. It had the words, I am second on it, an indication of his Christian faith. Brenda told Barnes she was a believer too. Without responding to her comment, the detective began his questioning. He wanted to know where Brenda was on the night of the murder. Brenda quickly produced a receipt from her purse. She was miles away from Kendra's apartment, enjoying some drinks at a Chili's restaurant. She explained to Barnes that she didn't borrow Jose's Jeep. Her friend Crystal did. But even calling Crystal a friend was a stretch. She'd only known her for about a month. Brenda felt sorry for the young mom who was struggling financially. She offered to help her out. Brenda claimed she let Crystal drive Jose's car so Crystal could take her son to and from school. Barnes told Brenda to write down Crystal's phone number. He wanted to corroborate her story. Later, Crystal joined Detective Barnes at the station. He brought her to an interrogation room next to the one where Brenda was being kept. There, Crystal shared her version of what happened that day. Or she started to, at least. Detective Barnes cut her off after Crystal said she parked at Kendra's apartment complex just so she could take her son to eat at a Mexican restaurant nearby. He knew that was a lie. They had her on tape, speeding out of the lot directly after Kendra was shot. Realizing she was caught in a lie, Crystal frantically backtracked and changed her story. She now claimed that she was taking her son to a playground nearby when a random masked man jumped into her car. The man put a gun to her ribs and demanded she drive to Gables Park 17. Under duress, she followed his instructions. They arrived at the parking garage and after a few minutes, the man got out of the car and ran to a nearby vehicle. Crystal heard several gunshots. Then the man jumped back in the Jeep and told her to speed away. Barnes didn't buy Crystal's story. When the detective asked why she stayed in her car, after the man got out, Crystal stared back at him, her eyes wide with fear. Her story changed again, and this time, 
it got closer to the truth. She said Brenda paid her and an accomplice to rob Kendra, not murder her. The accomplice's name was Lamar. Crystal didn't know him well, but when the time came for the robbery, Kendra fought back a little too hard, so Lamar shot and killed her. Accident or not, it was never part of the plan, not Brenda and Crystal's anyway. The reason Crystal didn't report it to the police was because she was afraid. She wasn't innocent, she was involved in the crime. Plus, she was terrified of what Lamar might do if she ratted him out. She didn't want him coming after her or her son. On its face, Crystal's story seemed more credible, but Detective Barnes suspected it still wasn't the whole truth. What was Brenda's motive? Why would she go to such great lengths to target Kendra for a robbery? Crystal told the detective it was because Kendra and Brenda were both involved with the same man, Ricky Paniagua. Afterwards, Detective Barnes left Crystal's interrogation room and paid Brenda another visit next door. Brenda sat in a chair wearing a pink blanket wrapped around her. She seemed much calmer than Crystal, harder to crack. Detective Barnes changed his tactics. It was time to play good cop. Intimidation had worked on Crystal, but research indicates it isn't typically the most effective approach. A 2002 study showed that police are more likely to elicit confessions when they show respect and understanding. Brenda may not have been the most sensitive person, but Barnes knew that even she probably had a soft spot. Crystal's words stood out. This was about Ricky. The detective sat down across from Brenda and tried to appeal to her emotions. He said he knew what it felt like to be heartbroken, to have the person you love stolen from you. He lied and told her that if he was in her shoes, he probably would have also wanted to get a little revenge. Brenda stared back at him blankly, not budging. It didn't work. So the detective pivoted again. He tried to push her buttons. He asked Brenda how it felt to have Ricky dump her for someone else, someone better. Kendra was a real dentist, beautiful, successful. But trying to get a rise out of her didn't work either. Brenda denied Crystal's account and stuck to her own. She didn't know Kendra, never met her before. She certainly had nothing to do with her death. After several hours, Detective Barnes suspected Brenda was involved, if not the architect behind the whole operation. But they had no evidence to hold her any longer. He kept her phone and let her go. He watched Brenda walk out of the station, not knowing what would happen next. But Brenda didn't waste a second of her freedom. She left, packed her bags, and before long, fled. Coming up an international manhunt. Now, back to the story. A few days after Kendra Hatcher's murder, police had one suspect in custody, Crystal Cortez. They suspected Brenda Delgado was also involved, but they had no evidence to prove it. They focused their attention on finding another alleged culprit, the man who, according to Crystal, shot Kendra. She'd only given police one name to work with, Lamar. But detectives learned it was a fake. After combing through Crystal's phone records, they found Lamar was actually Christopher Love. The investigation escalated quickly from there. 
they tracked Christopher down and pulled warrants to search his car. They found a gun, a 40 caliber Smith & Wesson pistol, the same make and model used to shoot Kendra. They brought Christopher in for questioning on October 2nd, one month after Kendra's murder. As expected, Christopher played innocent. He denied any and all responsibility, but after Barnes showed him the surveillance video and told him that they'd found the gun in his car, Christopher started to talk. His story was similar to Crystal's. He also maintained that Brenda hired him to rob Kendra. Christopher explained to the detective that Brenda was somehow connected to a Mexican drug cartel. Kendra had stolen some drugs from her and that's why she hired him. It was an eye for an eye, a robbery for a robbery. Many parts of the story that Christopher told were true. As we discussed last time, Brenda did say she had connections to a cartel. She promised Christopher around $3,000 in drugs and cash if he said yes to her scheme. Detective Barnes, however, knew Kendra never stole any drugs and he told Chris as much. He said Kendra was an innocent dentist. He joked and told him, the only thing Kendra had ever stolen from Brenda was her ex-boyfriend. But of course, Kendra didn't actually steal Ricky from anyone. Regardless of what Brenda thought, they were two single people who fell in love. Now, Crystal and Christopher both told officials that Brenda hired them to rob Kendra and not kill her. This is a crucial distinction because in Texas, if a killing is committed for payment or promise of payment, that falls under capital murder, which is a crime punishable by death. Detective Barnes still didn't believe Kendra's death was a murder gone wrong, but Christopher's confession was an important step forward in the investigation. Now, officials had two confessions, both of which implicated Brenda. They finally had enough to arrest her. But now the problem was, they didn't know where she was. Police put out alerts, asking for information on her whereabouts. They waited patiently for tips, but nothing came in. The manhunt to find Brenda Delgado went nowhere. At some point, Detective Barnes revisited old evidence to see if he could find any useful information. He revised Brenda's phone, looking for any clues he might have missed. And something made him click on her photo gallery. And scroll. He found dozens of photos of Kendra and Ricky, ones he'd never come across before. They were taken from their social media pages. The detective had gotten the sense that Brenda was jealous of Kendra, but this crossed a line into a whole new territory. This was an obsession. Barnes also found a video of Brenda and Crystal taken a few days before the murder. Brenda was in the passenger seat recording as Crystal drove. Crystal was on the phone asking someone about a silencer for a gun. She specifically mentioned a 40 caliber Smith & Wesson pistol. Again, the same kind used to kill Kendra. Barnes didn't need any more evidence that Brenda was involved, but this proved she was dangerous and methodical. She needed to be found. When the Dallas police had exhausted their resources, they reached out to the FBI for help in finding Brenda. The Bureau put her on their 10 most wanted list and offered a $100,000 reward for information leading to her capture. That's when the tips started pouring in. Several calls came in about someone matching Brenda's description. 
Witnesses reported seeing a woman wearing a dark sweater with a hood pulled low over her face in Mexico. Given the country's heat, the choice of clothing stuck out like a sore thumb. Brenda didn't seem to be staying in one place for very long, which made her difficult to track. But the FBI eventually learned that while on the run, Brenda was getting help from family. They suspected they were sending her money through Western Union. Detective Barnes tracked down these relatives, presumably using bank records. He told them they could face criminal charges if they don't cooperate with the investigation. But still, they refused to give Brenda up. They insisted she was innocent, even after Barnes laid out the evidence against her. Eventually, the FBI received a tip with Brenda's exact location. She was in a small quiet town called Torreon. The FBI alerted Mexican authorities, and when the time came to make an arrest, Brenda surrendered to them peacefully. There was just one last hurdle. Mexican law protected its citizens from extradition to countries that practice capital punishment. Brenda emigrated to the US from Mexico as a young girl and was a dual citizen, meaning Mexico would only hand her over if her sentencing couldn't include the death penalty. After some back and forth, US officials agreed. In April 2016, after more than six months of hiding, Brenda Delgado was taken back to Texas and placed in custody. But authorities still had a long road ahead of them, with little evidence besides Crystal and Christopher's confessions and a strong alibi. It would be difficult to prove Brenda's guilt. The lead prosecutor assigned to the case, Kevin Brooks, struggled with how to best proceed, but ultimately he decided to approach Crystal Cortez with a plea deal. If Crystal testified that Brenda had hired her to kill Kendra rather than rob her, she'd get a maximum of 35 years in jail. The death penalty would be off the table. The proposition came right after Crystal's mother lost her battle to kidney disease. According to Crystal's interview with Skip Hollinsworth, her mother had visited her right before she passed and expressed her disappointment about how her daughter's life turned out. With her mother's words in mind, Crystal chose to make things right, or as right as they could be. She accepted the deal. In June 2019, four years after Kendra's murder, Brenda's case went to trial. Brenda pleaded not guilty. Her team argued that Crystal, the prosecution's star witness, was using Brenda as a scapegoat, blaming her for a murder she had nothing to do with. But when it was Crystal's time to talk, she finally told the whole story. About Brenda's violent obsession with Ricky, the plots, the tears, the anger. She even mentioned that Brenda at one point discussed killing Ricky as well. Brenda sat perfectly still throughout Crystal's testimony. She kept her head held high and her gaze focused straight ahead. A jury found Brenda Delgado guilty of capital murder. A judge sentenced her to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Her automatic appeal was rejected. Christopher Love received the same fate. After her plea deal, Crystal Cortez received her maximum sentence, 35 years. Throughout the trial, Brenda reportedly didn't look at anyone except for Ricky. When he took the stand, she clung to every word he said, even when he described the pain she caused him and the grief that came from losing Kendra Hatcher, the real love of his life.
thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on this case, we found Texas Monthly's The Doctor, The Dentist, and The Killer by Skip Hollinsworth and Oxygen's coverage for their series Snapped, extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from Parcast, executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Broro. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production and quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Allie Wicker is our supervising editor, and Eric Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Sara Hussein, edited by Natalie Pertsovsky and Connor Sampson, fact-checked by Cheyenne Lopez, researched by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood, produced by Bruce Katovich, and sound designed by Scott Stronick. I'm your host, Lainey Hobbs. Hey, Parcast fans, it's Lainey from Crimes of Passion. Can't get enough true crime? Check out my podcast, True Crime Cases with Lainey. I'm diving deep into the stories you've never heard and deeper into those you may be familiar with. I hope you'll join me. Follow True Crime Cases with Lainey wherever you get your podcasts.